Hi everyone, it's Ange. We ended last time when Philip demanded that the Cortez agree to putting his wife away as a mental incompetent. Her cousin, Federique Enrique, Admiral of Castile, went to assess the state of her mind for himself. I wanted to know more about who Federique was and I went on a side journey and this is what I found. The house of Enrique and the family became the most powerful of Castile, displaying the dignity of admirals of Castile for nearly 200 years. And earning the Duché of Medina, they were part of the elite aristocratic power in Castile during the Middle Ages and along with 19 other Spanish lineages. They were recognized by Charles V in 1520 as one of the first grandees of Spain. Titles held by members of the house also include Señor de Hero and Masters of the Order of Santiago. Jurisdictionally, they guarded the manors of Mancilla, Medina, Melgar, Rueda, and Terrafia, previously the descendants of Henry of Castile, son of Ferdinand III of Castile, also received the surname Enrique. So Federique himself was hot-tempered and was banished to Sicily after a row with Queen Elizabeth of Castile in 1489. He was rehabilitated and participated in the conquest of Baza and the Battle of Granada. During his stay in Sicily, he marries the very rich Anna de Cabrera, a countess of Modica, Asona, Cabrera, and Bass. They had no children. Federique Enrique himself was Count of Melgar, Lord of Medina, Mancilla, Rueda, Aguilar, and Wilbra Hima, and was one of the richest persons in Spain. His yearly income was estimated at 50,000 ducats. In 1496, he accompanied Juana of Castile to Flanders to be married to Philip the Handsome. On his return, he escorted Philip's sister, Margaret, to Spain to be married to Prince John. Federique reached the highest political power during the revolt of the Comuneros in 1520. He became together with his cousin, Anigo Fernandez de Velasco, the second Duke of Frias, governor of Spain in the absence of Charles V. He brought peace and was rewarded by the emperor with the Order of the Golden Fleece. Federique Enrique was Messina's of artists like Juan Buscan. He is buried with his wife in the monastery of San Francisco in Medina. So, as we talked about yesterday, the cousins spent 10 hours together. Juana was calm and perfectly in control of herself and the admiral found her conversations both intelligent and astute. No way, he told Philip later, would he con convive at any scheme to have Juana pronounced unfit. The admiral defended her so forcefully that the Cortez threw out Philip's proposal. Philip was frustrated and furious. He moved his army on to Burgos in northern Spain. It was here that fate intervened and provided the perfect, if tragic, solution to the problem of Philip the Handsome, scourge of the royal house of Spain. On September 17, 1506, Philip played a hard game of Veloda 
with one of his men and ended up covered in sweat and ragingly thirst. He drank a pitcher of water while standing where a cold mountain wind would, he hoped, cool him down. Philip began to feel ill that same night and woke next morning with a temperature. Three days later, he was coughing up blood. His throat swelled up. By the 24th of September, black and red spots had appeared all over his body. He lapsed into a coma and died two days later. It was three hours before Juana, who was once again pregnant, would permit his courtiers to dress the corpse and prepare it for burial. After that, she draped herself in black and sat dazed and unresponsive in her apartments. When eventually Juana came out of her trance, she had only one thought in mind. She must take Philip's body south to Granada for burial. A grisly procession set out in the freezing winter fog. With Juana walking behind the hearse, she managed 61 kilometers, that's 38 miles across hard mountain terrain, before exhaustion and the imminent birth of her child forced her to halt at Torquemada in central Spain. There, in early 1507, Juana gave birth to her sixth child, her daughter Catalina. Every day, a funeral service was performed in front of the altar in the local church, and all day and all night, Juana's courtiers stood guard around the catafalique. In April 1507, after plague struck Torquemada, Juana gave orders to leave. The procession took to the road once more and came to its next halt in a miserable little village called Hornelis. By now, Philip had been dead for seven months, plenty of time for gossip to create lured tales about Juana's behavior. It was said that she believed Philip would come back to life after a monk told her of a corpse that had revived after 14 years. Most gruesome were the stories telling how Juana had the coffin opened almost daily and made love with the remains. The truth was that Juana had the coffin opened four times in all, but she did little more than gaze at what remained of her husband. Philip was still unburied in late August 1507 when Juana set out from Hornelise for the long-awaited reunion with her father. When she saw him at last, she fell to her knees and attempted to kiss his feet. Apparently shocked by his daughter's haggard, ravaged appearance, he burst into tears. The touching moment of emotion did not mean that Ferdinand was going to play the caring father. At some time during the long conversation that followed, it seems that Ferdinand persuaded Juana to hand over Castile, its government, and its revenues. At long last, Ferdinand had everything he wanted. It only remained for him to get Juana out of the way now, that he no longer needed her. The truth took a long time to dawn on Juana. All deference was paid to her as Queen of Castile. Even Germain, her father's second wife paid homage to her, but then Juana began to notice that her new courtiers, appointed by Ferdinand, owed allegiance to him rather than to her. 
and acted more like spies than attendants. In the spring of 1508, Ferdinand showed a glimpse of his hand. He began to press Juana to marry again. The English king, Henry VIII, had asked for her, and it occurred to Juana that Henry's distant realm would conveniently remove her from Spain. Juana refused, and Ferdinand finally lost patience. And that's Henry VII, I'm sorry, not Henry VIII. So Juana refused, and Ferdinand finally, he lost patience. He was about to set out on an expedition to Cordova in southern Spain to deal with a rebel aristocrat, and he claimed he wanted Juana to stay somewhere safe in his absence. Ferdinand's idea of somewhere safe was the dank, menacing, prison-like castle of Tordisa. Juana begged her father not to put her there, and after a tussle, Ferdinand gave in, but took revenge by removing Juana's five-year-old son, another Ferdinand. When her father and her son had gone, Juana lapsed into a stupor of her mind, long poised on the edge of madness began to give way. Her behavior grew more and more peculiar. She refused to wash or change her clothes. She passed water almost constantly. By early 1509, when Ferdinand returned from Cordova, there were plenty of witnesses to attest to her descent into madness. Ferdinand ordered that Juana be taken underway under heavy guard to the castle of Tredisa. Philip's coffin went with her, and so did her daughter, Catalina, who was now two years old. Locked away in the castle, her final prison, there were few humiliations Juana did not suffer. She fought back in her usual way, refusing to eat, go to bed, wash, or dress. But there is some evidence that she was beaten to make her more tractable. Her father visited her twice in October 1509 and November 1510. On the second occasion, he brought with him a group of nobles opposed to his takeover of Castile and took Juana by surprise. The doors to her apartment suddenly opened and there the nobles were aghast to see that shrunken, bedraggled queen of Castile, dressed in grubby rags, looking ravaged and smelling worse. In surroundings of utter squalor, Ferdinand never did anything in by halves. He brought the nobles to see her, the wreckage of his daughter and to see for themselves that Juana was totally a lost cause. Ferdinand died in 1516 and Juana succeeded him as nominal queen of the realm of Aragon. The new double crown of Castile and Aragon meant nothing to her. Her elder son, Charles, proved no, less, proved no less malevolent than his father and grandfather before him. The prize he had to inherit, all of Spain and Spanish America and half of Europe, overcame filial conscience, but Charles would succeed to this vast swath of territory and its immense riches only if his mother stepped down in his favor. Favor. It was not difficult to persuade her. Juana was now so far gone into madness that she gave in meekly and agreed that Charles should rule on her behalf. Having got what he wanted, 
Charles kept Juana closely confined and concealed her under an impenetrable pall of secrecy. Juana was not permitted to see anyone from the outside the world, and, on Charles's orders, was made to keep her to her room, preferably in bed. When she heard mass, it was not in the castle chapel, but in the room next to her own. So despite her utterly wretched conditions, Juana was able to contemplate escape and received her chance after news of her confinement at Tortesia got out in 1519. Rebels opposed to Charles' heavy taxation marched to the castle and managed to get into the courtyard. This gave Juana the opportunity to break out of her cell and watch the rebels clamoring for her as their rightful queen. But she was too confused to realize what was going on. She stared at her would-be champions with glazed vacant eyes and then allowed herself to be taken back to the castle and locked up. This time, though, she was put into a pitch-dark, windowless cell. She was let out occasionally, once in 1525, when her daughter Catalina left the castle on her way to marry King John III of Portugal. Juana watched the procession wind away towards the horizon through windows heavily barred to prevent her from throwing her to prevent her throwing herself out. Juana moldered at the castle of Tordillas for another thirty years, falling deeper and deeper into fantasy and horrible imaginings that fill unhinged minds. She died in 1555, aged 76, after spending two-thirds of her life in confinement. Juana was buried in the Royal Chapel of Granada, next to Philip, whose grotesque odyssey ended in 1525 when he was interred there for 20 years after his death. Juana's parents were similarly paired nearby, as with Philip. Their effigies took the customary prose of piety and dignity. Juana's image was different. The sculptor who carved it scored into the marble the lines and hollows that had ravaged her face in real life, and in posthumous consolation placed in her hands the royal scepter, the symbol of authority she was never allowed to to possess. So this is what I have on Juana of Castile. There's no happy ending. So there's more coming up and there's more madness in Spain. And as always, I hope you all learned a lot and I will see you all again soon.